This is one of the things about being a leader, Pierre Carlo, and one of the reasons I think people are reluctant to step into leadership. You, you are exposed, and if you're a good leader, you are open to that exposure. Welcome to Artists as Leader, where we explore the intersection of creativity and leadership. I'm Pierre Carlo Talenti, the producer and editor of this podcast, brought to you by the Keenan Institute for the Arts at the University of North Carolina School of the Arts. And I'm Rob Kramer, founder and CEO of Kramer Leadership, whose mission is to advance leaders for the greater good. This week, we bring you Pierre Carlo's interview with Chris Wells. Pierre Carlo, could you please tell us a little bit about this episode's artist leader? Absolutely. Love to. I have known Chris a long time from early in my LA days, but unfortunately I haven't seen him in recent years, which is why I was really happy to have a chance to reconnect with him. Mm. Chris has always been a phenomenal performer and writer. I can attest to that. And since 2007, he's also the artistic director of The Secret City, a nonprofit organization he founded with his now husband, painter Bobby Lucy. The Secret City has been presenting ecstatic community art celebrations, featuring storytelling, visual art, guest performers, a live band, a community choir, and playful interaction. Makes me want to go like now, experience it. Participants with religious backgrounds might call it a church, where the only thing worshipped is art. For everyone involved, though, it is a community of artists, creative types, and conscious people who seek a deeper engagement with the world. And just to give you a sense of the impact The Secret City has had, in 2010, it received an Obie Award in recognition of its service to the creative community. Nice. Now, 13 years since its founding, The Secret City hosts regular celebrations in New York and Los Angeles and makes special appearances throughout the country. It also hosts an annual summer gathering in Woodstock, New York, where Chris and Bobby now live. Chris also hosts a weekly Secret City radio show in nearby Kingston, New York. He spoke to me from his home in Woodstock, New York. I asked him to explain why and how he shifted from being an actor to developing and implementing the idea for the Secret City. What had happened with my sort of traditional theater career was... It became clear that for whatever for a variety of reasons, that the work I was being asked to make was not that interesting to me. I I could do it, but I also felt like, oh, uh, I felt a couple things. My skills felt outsized for the jobs. Hmm. And I also felt like, and this is not to cast aspersions on anyone or anybody who, you know, God knows, has a career in the theater. I celebrate them. But for me, I felt the work was kind of providing a product to people of a certain class and that it had very little to do with me personally. So I took a break from that. And then the following summer, Bobby and I were in San- uh, Santa Monica. And I was reminded of this idea I had had in Los Angeles of starting, what is it, my my vision years before had been to create a church of art. And I had been asked to emcee a lot in LA, and I felt very connected to a broad community. And I always wondered why the arts were sort of isolated from each other, like the theater community didn't really deal with the dance community 
and that community didn't deal with the visual arts community, which had very little to do with the, you know, performance art community. And it really started to seem as if the arts were suffered a kind of a version of a diaspora that, owing to whatever, I'm sure, a variety of reasons that people smarter than me could identify, but certainly capitalism and the lack of, you know, art support in general, there was really a lack of cohesion and mutual support. So this church vision I had was to bring all these different kind of art forms together in a live celebration that would also suggest what I had by then found to be true, that art making has a deeply spiritual component. And that creativity, for me, is where I found my spiritual calling, in making things with other people. And so that was the vision I had had. And I was reminded of that during this summer where I was on hiatus and just making house with Bobby. And I thought, oh, my God, maybe maybe that's what I'm going to do when I go back to New York in the fall. And so I remember that night telling Bobby, we were lying in bed, and I said, what do you think of that idea? And he said, it sounds like it's your calling. And I was so struck by that because I thought, how does he know that? I mean, he didn't know my, he didn't know my career, and he didn't know, he didn't see my life in Los Angeles. And, but he had a deep insight into who I was, who I am, and what my both my potential is, but also what my dreams are and what my values are. So we moved back after that summer to New York, and I, we started The Secret City that fall. And we started, I rented a small studio on 14th Street, and I just started inviting people. We were four people sitting on the floor that first month, and the next month there were, I think, eight people. And then and it was very organic. I sort of presented this idea that I wanted to start this thing and asked people if they'd be interested in helping. And then I think we added chairs the third month, and then we added, you know, it, it just built over every month. It would just build and grow. And then the the crowd started growing. Words started getting out, and the place started filling up, and I started curating much more broadly and um, inviting guest performers to come and adding live music. And then at that first or second gathering, I realized if I was going to invite people to gather and I was going to be the leader, <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm going to, I'm the leader of this thing. Mm-hmm. I better have something to say. And so I started writing. And the theater writing I had done, fine not finally, but the theater writing really then came to the fore. And I was like, oh, I'm writing pieces to perform for these gatherings. And that just, my entire sort of creative self then began to blossom with this venture. And the Secret City was big enough to contain anything I wanted to do. Like I wanted to have a band again. So then we had a band and I wanted to sing with other people. So we added a community choir and then we started adding these crazy costumes, which kind of reawakened or reconnected me to my whole drag experience back in Los Angeles many years before. But the main aspect of it, of course, was 
that I was building a community around this idea that A, art is crucial, B, artists are worthy and deserving of support and not the kind of support that most of us have experienced, which is, I want you to come and pay for this thing, or I want you to come and sell your thing. So it was very intentionally a non-commercial space. There was no money charged, and um, eventually we started taking a collection. And that this thing that I had kind of had experience with in Los Angeles, especially through, like, you know, of course, Cornerstone, um community which i i always had a bit of an ambivalent attitude toward but i think it was moving to los moving to new york and really seeing that this city was really brutal on artists or and people needed ways to connect so the secret city became a generator of community around these principles of art making and you know creativity and the spirit that I felt was inherent in art making that connected people. Do you think of yourself as, it sounds to me, well, you're clearly a leader. Do you also see yourself as a spiritual guide? <laughs> it's so funny. I um, So shortly after we started what was then called the Church of the Secret City in New York, very soon after we started, we dropped the Church of and mm-hmm. it was immediately controversial and exclusionary. And and that was not at all my, I mean, I very much was like, well, if you're going to build something like this, you want the tent to be as big as possible and to allow for anybody who wants to come. So, but it was already a kind of controversial because anybody who got a whiff of like church, religion, and there's nothing remotely religious about it. It's purely I would say, if anything, it's like neo-paganism. Um, but there were people who got a whiff of that and would never come because it was sort of threatening, I think. But it was always very important to me to remind myself that I was not a spiritual leader, that I was an artist making a work of art that happened to be taking this form, which was, you know, inviting people to come and celebrate in these what we call services on Sundays um so so you've resisted that well I guess I guess I would say if I were really going to take it apart I would say I believe all artists are spiritual leaders I I deeply believe that art unlocks the expression is connected to something that is I don't know, spiritual, meaning that the connectivity itself has a spiritual quality. And so whether artists are coming from that place or not, I do believe that art making is is toiling in that realm of connectedness, whether we call that spirit or whether we call that, you know, connection. Uh, so that's in in ways that's a that's a part of the you know, this sort of cosmology, I guess, of the mm-hmm. secret city is that art is inherently spiritual because it connects people through time, through, you know, across miles. Um, so if I am a, if I am have any spiritual 
leadership, it's simply because I'm making art and the art I'm making is, you know, connecting people. Has there ever been a time when your vision or your needs didn't quite match your audience or flocks? What what do you call your audience? What do you call the people who come to your services? I mean, I call them a community. Um, And it's funny because I was intentional. One of the specific things I was reacting against when I started Secret City was this incredibly harsh line between audience and performer. Mm -hmm. And I thought that has to have been invented in our, you know, by humans. I think originally, I don't think that's how performance worked. So part of the Secret City's mission was to really soften that barrier between audience and performer. And so I specifically stopped using the word audience Mm-hmm. because I wanted people to feel that they were not just the thumbs up or thumbs down, I liked it, didn't like it thing, but rather, oh, I'm here and it's I'm an integral part of this event. But to your question, yeah, I mean, you may recall, like, my career in LA was, a lot of it was trashy. <laughs> oh, I mean, I was, Please and explain. I loved it. Well, I know what you mean. I know what you mean by that. I'm not sure our listeners know what you mean by that. So I mean, please elaborate. <laughs> I was always interested in life at the edges and people who lived at the edges and work that sort of vibrated at the edges and kind of exploring a kind of uh, occasionally exploring the idea of vulgarity or mm-hmm. of, you know, and certainly in drag, you're definitely pushing you know, norms of what's acceptable or what's un- what's tasteful versus what's vulgar. Um, but also in my more, le- even in legit theater, when I was making devised work, I always wanted, you know, that thing that theater can do, which is move toward danger, right? And um, so, so starting The Secret City, I have had... And I would say I, to some degree, still have this negotiation, how much of that life and that me is appropriate within this container that is um, more community-based. I certainly have felt like I've gotten to express a full version of myself, but I don't know that I'm as, I was going to say as radical, but I don't think that's true. Bobby said this thing many, many years ago when we first started The Secret City that part of what makes it a radical work of art is its sincerity. Um, And I remember originally being like, sincerity? What? I don't know that I like that. But But it's true. There is still, despite how big it's grown and how many events we've had and how many people come, um it does have this pure heart at its center, which is well-meaning and welcoming. And um, so I do, I think that is radical. So maybe what I felt was radical about me when I was younger has been sort of transformed into a different kind of radicalism, which is, you know, trying to access maybe the highest part of myself or the and of your community, it sounds like, because your community also gets to participate, yeah? Yeah, I mean, I do think 
that there's a kind of modeling of behavior, like asking people to, you know, be, be kind, be welcoming, but also wonder, be curious, you know. Looking back on since 2007, do you think, can you identify if there was one, a moment where you maybe failed as a leader, where you really struggled? Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. So, so many times. Uh, I, I mean, I think I, I, this is one of the things about being a leader, Pierre Carlo. And one of the reasons I think people are reluctant to step into leadership. You, you are exposed. And if you're a good leader, you are open to that exposure. You don't necessarily handle it well all the time, but you can guarantee somebody's going to come along and say, well, that thing you said you were going to do, you didn't do that. Or, you know, why didn't you do this for me when you said you were going to do that? Or, you know, people will tell you your failings, I think, much more easily when you are the leader. You become a kind of target. Mm. You also become a kind of I've become fascinated with this. This is more in the realm of psychology. You become a subject of a lot of people's projections. Mm. And a projection, I think our nation is suffering from projections right now. Projections are nearly impossible to remove from somebody else. Like a projection, it's like a spell. A projection has to be removed by the individual who holds the projection onto someone else. And so this whole, this whole sort of vortex that you've just entered in, us into of, you know, my full self, does my full se- has my full self fit, fit into what I'm making and this idea of leader and failing, it is complicated. I mean, I'm not, I'm not the artistic director of a theater company Mm-hmm. only i'm i'm in i'm inherent to each event i make every event and then i'm the lead artist within the event so if there's tension it's there it's that my artist self is you know wilder moodier more opinionated less kind maybe less generous like short tempered whereas the leader self often is like, oh, I got to handle this better. Or, oh, I can't say that in an email. That's not appropriate. Or, oh, I need to hold space for this person who irritates the hell out of me, but this is my job. So I'm always negotiating that that sort of dual role of artist versus community leader. And it's challenging and what do you think your greatest strength is as a leader? Mm. Well, this is funny because I think I'm a better artist than I am a leader. And so I would say probably my greatest strength as a leader is my artistic ability. And I so it's really great that they now are <laughs> woven together. Right. Meaning you couldn't lead well in this position if your artistry yeah. were to decline. Yeah. You mentioned that one of your duties as the leader that you are today is holding your community. And I love that image and that phrase. So can you talk about 
in this particular period in our history, what what that means for you, what your new responsibilities are. Yeah. So so I was in Los Angeles the weekend before the shutdown and I flew home March 9th. That was Monday. And I was putting up a new piece in New York City that I'd been commissioned to do that week. So I flew home Monday. I host a weekly radio show at a community station here upstate. And I did my show. And then Bobby said to me the next day, he's like, you're not going to the city. You're not going anywhere. We're getting groceries. We're staying home. And he immediately saw much more clearly what was about to happen. And so I canceled this performance. And uh, and I remember I canceled it on that Tuesday. The performance was to be Thursday. And the people producing it were like, I'm not sure it's necessary to cancel. I think people will come. And then by Thursday, you know, Broadway had closed everything. So I felt I felt justified mm-hmm. um, over something I had felt mild guilt over. But further, Bobby said, you know, there are going to be a lot of people stuck at home. Maybe you should do a show online. So I started hosting a daily show on our Facebook and Instagram pages. Um, and it's modeled on the service that I host the live shows, but it's condensed to a half hour. And um, it's called Daily Artistic Inspiration for Troubled Times. And and it's been extraordinary. It's created an entirely new community that's all online. And people have responded so incredibly to it. And and it's been very gratifying. And uh, I write a new piece every morning that I then deliver at this 12 o'clock show. And um, talk about talk about amping up your artistic practice. <laughs> That's a lot. Yeah, it's been extraordinary. I have to say, I have felt like I was in training. And then when this shutdown hit, I was like, okay ready to run. And then I've just been on this really full out run ever since then. And what it's meant, though, is that like, we've built a community online. And I say hello to everybody every day as they come in, I see their names. And yeah, I don't see their faces. But over time, this community has arisen. And now they talk to each other and people are communicating outside of them. And And I'd say every day I'm showing up with, uh, you know, there's a little calendar, there's a poem, there's a word of the day that I curate around. I share an object or a piece of art from my home, and then I share this story. And uh, I've never been so bombarded with response. Like, people are so deeply grateful to be taken out of, whatever they're dealing with on any given day. And I, th- I do think that that's one of the major roles of art, right? Is to ask people to focus on something outside of themselves. Hmm. So it does a number of things. It gives them the thing they're focusing on, but it also models the idea that moving outside of yourself is a good thing to do. Like, removing your focus solely from yourself is good. It's, a you know, asking you to be generous. I think art has that inherent ask in it, you know? Mm-hmm. So uh, that's some of what those shows do for people. And now we've done 
I don't know, 125 of them since the start of the shutdown. And I will say, I know with that, that has totally been an example of modeling behavior because people are like, oh, right, uh, I can make something or mm. I, um, I could do this. Or it reminds me that like a friend of mine wrote me two weeks ago, I think, I can't remember what the word of the day was she wrote. And she said, wow, that was so great. She said, I realize I've just been kind of holding my breath for four and a half months and I'm kind of waiting for this thing to resume. And you just sort of reminded me like, A, that's not happening. And B, I could make something new. Like what an incredible moment this is. If you're able, you know, I don't mean to romanticize the hardships and the problems of this moment, but for those of us who are able, it's also an extraordinary opportunity. Isn't he a fascinating person, Rob? Man, so fun. He's, uh, he just sounds like such a big personality and probably, I would imagine, a great friend to have. What Do you have any leadership lessons that jump out at you from this interview? What particularly strikes you about the way yeah. he leads? Yeah, a number of things. The, the first was kind of a, a thing we've seen a pattern of in other people in their communities is to see a gap um, or a need and, and then fill it just jump out and do it. And in this case, it winds up being the secret city. And those actions that he took, I would label as pretty traditional entrepreneurial instincts, um, which again, we've seen with many of our other artist leaders. Um, but in this case, he really truly looked at it through the lens of artist leadership for the artists. To me, I was hearing him incorporating uh, community organizing um, for other artists. And ultimately, you know, he's talked about at first calling it the church of the secret city and they dropped it because church had so much baggage for people, but really mm -hmm. more of what, uh, I guess I might call a spiritual home for artists mm -hmm. to convene. And so that, that instinct, um, and the thing that drew him to it was very powerful for him. And, and it's following that balance of entrepreneurship and artistic instinct. Also, the most he's the the clearest example we've had, almost the clearest example we've had so far of the fact that he would be unable to lead were he not an artist. That they're truly inseparable skills. Right, right, and and uh, I think sort of the motivation of being frustrated with his traditional writing and artistic career um, guiding him towards something different. So there's a there's a um, catalyst, you know moving him forward. And he had this one quote that I really loved. He said of himself, if I have any spiritual leadership, it's simply because I'm making art and the art I'm making is connecting people, you know, and there it is the catalyst to who he is as a person, what I would call in a leadership lens, a, a personal mission statement. Um, but you could also call it, you know, one's true calling uh, or authentic self is another way to think about it. But he certainly is tapping into something that resonates deep inside himself, and then it has an infectious catch on others, you know? It's an awesome interview. Thanks for bringing him to us, Pierre Carlo. You're welcome. As I mentioned, it was a really a great pleasure to catch up with him. If you'd like to read a longer version of this interview and learn more about Chris, please go to uncsa.edu slash artist as leader. If you enjoyed this episode, won't you please leave us a rating or comment wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe. Our theme music is by The Dimes. I'm Rob Kramer. And I'm Pierre Carlo Talenti. Thanks for listening.